Hello guys, welcome to the GenoCast Taste. My name is Mariana and today we're going to continue talking about inheritance, which is like I think the third episode and there's still we're still waiting for another one, so total four episodes for inheritance and then we can continue to other genetic topics. So, as we left it on the last chapter, we're going to talk about cystic fibrosis, which is one of the most common genetic diseases. And this is caused by a recessive allele uh, that is formed from a mutation in the CFTR gene, which codes for chloride channels in mucous membranes. So, this gene is mapped on chromosome 7, and it is involved with the secretion of sweat, mucus, and digestive juices. So, the fact that you have this uh, double recessive allele is going to make you build up altered amounts of mucus in the lungs, which is going to cause dangerous infections and is going to damage the lung tissue. So remember, um, mucus is really helpful to track bacteria, but whenever this is excessive, then bacteria are they're really common in there and they can cause these huge infections. Mucus can also be built up in the pancreas and the liver, and so it is going to make it more difficult to digest food. And now about its most common places, well, the place where it happens the most is in Europe, so the recessive allele is present in one of every 20 people. So that means that a child is going to be one in 1,600. But now let's discuss the Huntington's disease. So this is a neurodegenerative disorder that usually starts affecting people from 30 to 50 years old. And it is caused by a dominant allele in the gene HTT found on chromosome 4. So the most common symptoms are loss of muscle coordination, cognitive decline, and psychiatric problems. So the, the reason why this disease is so dangerous is because as it appears on the developed ages, then a, a person that is affected by this will most likely have children by that time. And so if he ever passed this dominant allele, it's also dominant, to any of his offspring, well, then they will most likely exhibit it uh, in the next generations. So that's why this uh, Huntington's disease is so dangerous around the world. But now let's discuss red-green color blindness and hemophilia. So... As we mentioned in the last episode, some genetic diseases are going to be sex-linked. So that means that they're going to be either on chromosome X or chromosome Y. And the X chromosome has about 156 million pairs with over 800 genes. While the Y chromosome, which is a lot smaller, is going to have about 59 million base pairs and only 70 genes. So X chromosome has more than 10 times of genes as the Y chromosome. And as we, as you know, for females, uh, they're going to have two X chromosomes and males are going to have an XY. So that's why if a man gets an altered chromosome X uh, inherited, then it he will most likely exhibit the disease because he only has one X. So for example, the red-green color blindness, it's a recessive allele and it codes for non-functional photoreceptor in the retina of the eye, so it's a protein that helps to see color, which is not coded. And the most prevalent place where this happened is in Europe, with 8% of males having color blindness. So think about it, 8% is almost the amount of left-handed people, like in a region, right? It's a lot, really. Um, so the inheritance of red-green color blindness is shown through 
genetic crosses between colorblind males and a carrier females. So, for example, if you have a colorblind father and you have a normal vision woman, but she's a carrier, that means that she has one recessive gene and another one dominant, then most likely the females, well, one of them has 50% chance of being a carrier. That means having a dominant allele as well as a recessive one. And it has also 50% chance of being colorblind, which is going to be if she gets the two recessive alleles. And if it's a boy, then there's 50% that he has a normal uh, functioning eyes or that he's colorblind. That's the other 50% chance. So this is in the case that the father has the disease. But if the father was healthy, then women, there would be 50% chance of a woman being born without any type of disease. And there's a 50% chance that she doesn't have the disease, but that she's a carrier. And on the other hand, about boys, there's a 50% chance that the boy is completely normal. He has, he's not a carrier and he doesn't have the disease either. And there is another 50% chance that he's actually colorblind or, well, that he carries the disease. So it's really important that you take this into account uh, depending on the parent's genotype and especially if these diseases are sex-linked. But these are the two most common patterns that you'll encounter yourself with. Now, there is another disease which is really important called hemophilia. And it is a disease where a protein that is needed for blood clotting, um, it's known as factor 8, is not made. So without this factor, small injuries are going to make pa patients to bleed excessively and they could even die. Um, so this clotting factor gene is on the X chromosome and the allele that causes hemophilia is going to be recessive. So the same color, the same case as colorblind people, um, it depends on which type of allele you get. So it's also really important to mention that this hemophiliac disease is very common among royal people. Actually, Queen Victoria was a carrier of the disease and she passed this gene to some of her children, such as Victoria, Alice, Leopold, and Beatrice. And because we already spoke about the characteristics of sex-linked diseases, the only one who actually showed it was Leopold, and he died at 30, 31 years old. And the other girls, which are Victoria, Alice, and Beatrice, they pass it down to their children because they were carriers. So one of the famous children, uh, some generations later, was actually Alexis. So he was the son of Alexandra and Nicholas II, as you know, the, the Tsars of Russia, which were the ones that lived through the entire revolution. But the way that we can see this, you know, like this family history, is through a pedigree. And, well, there are going to be multiple ways to show how family lineages are made. But, well, at least in the case of the IB, the way that you're going to have a pedigree is by circles, squares, lines, dark circles, um, clear circles. I don't even know if that's like a worth, but, well, like, you know, like light colored circles. Yeah, sorry, my Spanish guys. But, well, if you have a circle, it's going to most likely be a woman. And if you have a square, it's going to be a man. If it is light colored, it means that it has no disease and that it is most likely just a normal person. And if it is dark, then it means that it has the disease. And sometimes if it is dotted or crossed, it means that it is a carrier or yeah. So this is not that common, like that you have a heterozygous uh, point out on a lineage because, you know, in 
in those times, in those generations, we didn't really knew about that type of technology, so it's not that common. But the point is that with these pedigree patterns, you're able to determine which type of disease you are seeing. So, for example, if it's a, if it's a dominant allele disease, then you're going to see it because um, one parent is going to have the allele and then the, all of the children are most likely going to have it. And if you have an autosomal recessive disease, then most likely um, not many children will inherit this disease. And if you have a sex-linked disease, you're going to see it because most likely men are going to have the disease while women are going to be carriers. So it depends a lot, but you can make uh, a, lot of inf a lot of inference with this type of charts. And now let's talk about other things which, which don't really have to do anything with uh, heredity, but it is important that you know them for the IV, which is radiation and causes of mutation. I mean, they do have to do with uh, inheritance, but they are not originally about inheritance, you know? So there are lots of uh, environmental factors which can make genes mutate, such as radiation. And now they are giving us the definition of mutagens, which is any type of agent that causes or increases the frequency of mutations by triggering changes in the genetic material of an organism. So there are many types of mutagens, uh, which are going to cause multiple types of variations, but they're basically radiation and chemicals. So um, they're going to form new alleles, so they're most likely going to be harmful. They can lead to cancer. And so in this case, mutagens are then going to be called carcinogens. And most mutagens that are in an individual are not going to be passing down to their offsprings, and they're only going to be produced in the DNA of autosomal DNA. But they can go to the gametes, and then, then is when you can have real trouble. So humans, we're normally exposed to many mutagens, such as radiation um, or chemical mutagens in our place, cigarettes, and even some uh, materials in food, such as nitrates. So about radiation, this is going to occur when energy in the form of waves has a really high energy. And because of this, um, you can break the chemical bonds. So higher energy radiation is going to be called ionizing radiation, and this breaks the bonds between atoms, which include our DNA, and is going to lead to the mutations. So radiation can cause DNA damage, um, and some types of this radiation are ultraviolet lights, X-rays, alpha, beta, and gamma um, waves. So they're going to be called radioactive elements. And some nuclear weapons and accidents at nuclear power stations are the ones some, most of the times responsible for these types of waves. And we have two examples for this. The first one happened on August 6, 1945, when an atomic bomb happened to fall down at Hiroshima, Japan, and over 100,000 people died around the time of the bombing from fires, explosive shockwave, and acute radiation syndrome, which is the one that stayed for a long time. And so this type of ionizing radiation caused a lot of mutation in these people, and some of them died some years later from cancer, especially leukemia. And the other case is the accident at the nuclear core explosion in 1986 at the Chernobyl power station in Ukraine. So this is one of the most famous episodes of accidents that have happened around the world. And 
well, what happened was that a failed test led to the meltdown of one of the four reactors. And so this complete meltdown, some workers even saw it and they saw the radioactive conditions. And so they tried to stabilize the plant. And because of this, uh, some of them died from the radiation. But the accident, well, they didn't stop it from happening. And so this radioactive material uh, went into the atmosphere and a lot of areas in Europe now have this uh, radioactive activity because of the because of how it was carried by the wind, and it still impacts today. So some of them flew far away to countries such as Sweden, the United Kingdom, Greece, and there is still like um, some influence from the radioactive here. Like it has still affected a lot of these regions, and. Some of the worst consequences of this disease are, for example, the thyroid cancer in children. So this type of cancer is a very complicated type of disease because it's not easy to cure and it's also, I think it's painful actually. And it's important to say that it's also not the only cause, uh, you know, radiation is not the only cause for thyroid cancer. There are some drugs that have also been said to cause it, but that's a topic for another episode. And now let's talk about predictor, predicted versus actual outcomes. So the, going back a little bit to genetics, um, until now we have used genetic crosses to predict possible genotypic and phenotypic ratios of offspring. But if you were actually able to carry out these crosses, then the predicted al- outcomes would almost never match uh, your real data. So what you are expecting for uh, is most likely not going to happen. And so the main reason is because events are going to occur randomly. So we do know what a probability would be like, but we don't say, we cannot say that it's going to be like that. So we're only going to predict that half of an individual's offspring will be male, for example, and that half will be a female. And if you look at the population of the world, it's sort of like that. It's similar to that. Uh, so as a general rule, the larger the sample size, the smaller that is going to be the difference between the observed and the expected outcomes, just as I just mentioned about the sex of the world, for example, which I guess here is going to be like, um, it's like 52% against 48% or 51 against 49, something like that. But well, there are some cases in which this ratio is not going to be a lot like the one that you're expecting. And this is because some allele combinations can be little, lethal. <laughs> so, for example, there is a type of cat called Manx tailless variation. And so a 3 to 1 ratio of the Manx typical cats is the one that you would expect. But the more kittens of Manx parents are counted, the ratio is going to approach 2 to 1. So 3 to 1 would be like saying that you have uh, three dominant alleles and one recessive, that for every three uh, dominant phenotypes, which are the physical characteristics that you have, then you're going to have one recessive. But this is not the case. It's going to be two to one. So that means that for every two dominant phenotypes that you have, then you're going to have one recessive phenotype. And this is because if two cats of this, uh, the Manx tailless cat, get two dominant alleles, like a big K, like capital M, two capital M's, then this allele is going to be little. And so embryos are not going to be able to develop in the correct way. And that's why you're only going to have a two to one ratio. So it can be either two manx kittens, which are going to be heterozygous, or one typical kitten, which is going to be um, homozygous. 
So remember, you should be able to compare, predict uh, the actual outcomes of genetic crosses using the real data, and the predicted values can be done by Pune squares, as we talked about in last episode. So that would be it for this one. I hope you guys have a good time, have a great night, and see you next time. Bye-bye!